Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, folks. This is Pokey Lafarge here on my couch. I made a tugboat fly. Made a python crawl. Where is your couch these days? Well, this is technically the breakfast nook. I'll give you a little tour, but it's not really for public consumption right now. I have, um, today is plant watering day. So I've taken all my plants and they're all kind of sunbathing outside after their little bath. But literally, where are you in the world? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in, in East Hollywood, I guess you could say. Los Feliz neighborhood. I could have just come over to your breakfast nook. But, you know, with the Delta variant, who knows? Um, <laughs> this coffee's strong. This coffee's really strong. But for now everybody. Welcome back to The Show on the Road, my podcast where I bring you on the sonic riverboat of life to introduce you to my favorite songwriters, artists, and band leaders from around the world. And this week, it is my pleasure to bring you a conversation I've been wanting to have for many years. My deep dive with vintage roots and soul excavator and beloved Illinois-born songwriter Pokey Lafarge, born Andrew Heisler in Bloomington Normal. And I'm really glad Pokey had his guitar with him in his breakfast nook because I think only he can bring us through where his mind and his heart was when he created his new record in the blossom of their shade. Honestly, from the moment I met Pokey Lafarge over a decade ago playing a pirate bar in downtown LA, I could tell that he was like a character out of a movie that you haven't seen yet from a hundred years ago. Indeed, he dresses different, he kind of talks different, he exists in his own little world, and that is the greatest thing you can do as a songwriter in my mind. And indeed, besides making timeless records since around 2008 or so, he's actually dove into some movie making as well. You might have spotted him in The Devil All the Time on Netflix, where he played a man who lost his legs from drinking poisonous substances and has to make do the best he can. And while he'll tell you that his mission in life is to spread joy, you could tell in his record, Rock Bottom Rhapsody, that he went through some real tough times. And what's got him through to create this uplifting, joyful, funky new record in the blossom of their shade? Well, maybe falling in love again? Maybe learning how to take some power naps during your songwriting sessions? And maybe most of all, refinding his faith in these darkest of times? 
And as a songwriter myself, I often struggle with the one-ended conversation that we have with an indifferent God all around us. I'm happy to say that my band Dust Bowl Revival recently recorded a new song called Set Me Free in which we seem to be shouting to that indifferent spirit, begging him to do something about the tumult and the hatred and the fear that we've created on Earth. But of course, in the end, it really is up to us, after all, to make things a little better. And music, for me, is that conduit into which everybody can be brought together once and for all. Indeed, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be playing our first national tour in, God, 100 years, starting in Chicago October 30th and ending November 13th at the Hamilton in D.C. But first, a song from the one and only Pokey Lafarge, and then our talk. Okay, here he is, Pokey Lafarge. The record's entitled In the Blossom of Their Shade, and this song is called Get it for it's gone. You can interpret that however you like. Later is always too late Later is always too late Later is always too late 
Yeah. There you go. Very nice. That track, I think, uh, Get It For It's Gone, it's the opening track, and then you have the closer, Good Night, Goodbye, Hope It's Not Forever. I feel like there's a natural bookend to the record of living life to the fullest, but also acknowledging that it could be taken from us at any point. And I know you went through some tough, uh, you know, mental stuff the last couple years, um, maybe even considering that you shouldn't be in this world anymore. And is this record your, um, what am I trying to say? Is this record telling people that this is why you're meant to be here? Yeah, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Yeah. Um. The night is all over. It's no time to be alone. Could even be the end of the world as we know. So stay here and love me. I love you just the same. We'll sing that one song we may never sing again. Um, yeah, that's the good night, goodbye, hope not forever. Oh, um, yeah, the these songs. I think when I wrote them, I kind of knew exactly where they were gonna go on the record. First off, um. This record is definitely the beginning of what I would say is a new chapter in my life and in my creativity. Um, I'll just give a quick little description uh, or reasoning for saying that in, in that before I was singing more for myself, maybe, and for others, keeping others in mind, like my audience, if you right. But now I am um, firmly handing the pen over to um, more of a spiritual force than rather me taking control and holding firmly onto the pen or whatever else we want to hold on to in life. Basically, just trying to let go, um, trying to make every song sort of like a psalm or like a prayer. And not really about self-glorifying or about sex, drugs, and rock and roll anymore. It's uh, it's definitely more about peace and love at this point. The last voices we hear Cheers to our memories Hey, nothing says goodbye Like a stiff drink and a tear Nothing says goodbye a stiff drink and a tear. Well, coming out of this dark time, I think this record feels like a sonic vacation for our ears. <laughs> right? I love that. It's like, let's just stop dwelling on the doom scroll news cycle and like maybe go to Costa Rica and have a few cocktails. You know, I think we all kind of need that trip right now as much as it's good to call out the bullshit of capitalism and politicians or whatever. It's like sometimes we need to let go and sit on the beach and listen to Mi Ideal. I feel like that song, you know, which you sing a bit in, in Spanish, it's like dropping us into a tiki bar on a vacation that we all need to take, like right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I love, again, I love the sonic vacation. That's so per- That so perfectly encapsulates what has been my last year and a half? Look, 
it has been sort of a sonic vacation. I've listened to a lot of different music, I've written a lot of music, I've recorded a lot of music, and I've spent this entire time in very sunny and, and warm and, and beautiful places. That song specifically is such a warm little droplet of sunshine that, um, you know, maybe it's about rediscovering uh, how to fall in love or how to um, really be present, you know. Um, We really need a little bit of that just pure happiness. Like we forgot how to maybe give ourselves permission to just listen to happy music, you know. Like, oh, it's frivolous and it's uh, it's kind of gauche right now when people are struggling and out of work and whatever. It's like, yeah, but we need the lightness to take us out of the dark sometimes <laughs> or we're going to, like, fall into the pit and never come out. Well, while all those, everything that you just said I think is definitely a component, um, on the surface, perhaps, if you will, um, this song was about pursuing that ideal love. And for me, that ideal woman. I was single um, last year, and um, it's pretty amazing how full circle this relationship that I'm in now has has come. I will just say that, like, your thoughts create things, right? The things that you think, they will appear. They will happen almost all the time. So it's important to take your thoughts captive. Um, For me, I've also experienced writing songs create things things happen after you write a song so i just wanted to throw that in there for me um but yeah it was about that ideal love and that ideal that ideal woman to come along and give you this like purpose in life or something or like add this and crazy this color and this this ultimate experience and you seek it out that's what you want in love and that's why I think maybe even sometimes people who have been in love, they think they've fallen out of love or they're not willing to dig deeper and fall in love deeper or whatever. So um, maybe maybe it can be an inspiration to the single people as well as those that are in relationships. Well, the contrast, I think, to some of the tracks on Rock Bottom Rhapsody, um, which I love as well, but you could feel the kind of pain in your voice and the sort of um, reveling in the debauched ending of something, right? Like party at the end of the world type vibes. And, you know, a song like Fuck Me Up, which I love, you know, is in a different headspace completely from some of the tracks on this record. Yeah, I actually think that they're they're in contrast to a lot of songs on that specific record. I mean, if you take if you take F Me Up and put it in contrast with, say, Fallen Angel, which says, I'll never let the devil take me down. Um, F Me Up being a perfect example, or you write a song and then things went down the drain. So near away. 
so the song, the album, definitely I could hear the desperation. I was definitely in a desperate state at at the time of recording it, and was sort of like just trying to survive. I was definitely in the in sort of in the throngs of death at that point, um, somewhat in a figurative uh, in a figurative way, but also in a very real, literal way too. two albums in color, Rock Bottom Rhapsody was very much black and gray. <laughs> but then, Get It For It's, or excuse me, In The Blossom of the Shade, as you can see, I don't know if you've seen the album cover. Yeah, very tropical, bright it's colors. It's just, yeah. Green, full of life. Yeah, it's been a sort of an awakening and um, looking forward to where the music goes from here. Well, I think that as listeners, we like when our artists, our favorite songwriters, do go through the depths of sorrow and heartbreak without ever thinking that maybe they're also human beings who are having long-term relationships end, having family members pass away, having uh, suicidal thoughts. I mean, there's, there's parts of us that are like, well, whatever it takes to make a great song, but we don't actually think about the toll that it's taking on the songwriter to get that out. And or do we just want can, our favorite yeah. songwriters to give, shine light on the very same thoughts and experiences that we're going through? We don't want them to go through it just for their sake. They want, we want them to go through it for our sake. Yeah. Because we need somebody to sing the melody to the, to the pain that we're feeling or, yeah, it, it gives worth, right? It's when you know somebody else understands you it helps i think that that's what helps right because everybody needs to be heard everybody needs to be heard and understood hopefully not just talked at or whatever so in a way it kind of shows that the artist understands and is listening when maybe you haven't ever said anything well the song like lucky sometimes off of rock bottom I think feels like maybe like a preview of what's to come. Almost this sepia-toned, hopeful look at um, a fantasy. And it feels like a, a musical theater piece, something that could be played in a silent movie theater, you know. Waiting tables at the burger stand You were sitting alone I came up for your order and asked you what you want. You said, do you really want to know? Yeah, that's my, my, uh, my Tom Waits, Frank Sinatra, moon-faced ballad, you know, love song. You know, that actually was a song that I wrote sort of sort of earlier on in the in the record campaign when everything was still going kind of record campaign while writing the record while everything was still going great but again ultimately to have come full circle and now i can sing lucky sometimes as a as a true love song to that very same woman i wrote it to back then so pretty amazing in love with me yes you did you took me to a from z Yes, you did. There was something 
was broken, I was poor Then you said I could be yours Though I don't have a dime Even bums get lucky sometimes Let's go back. Uh, so you're from Bloomington, right? Illinois. Bloomington Normal. Just to antagonize you, because I'm a dick, I wore my White Sox hat today. Dude, I think that's awesome. I noticed that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I appreciate I could go grab one of my ten Cubs, Cubs hats and put it on but, for you if you want. If you want to make this a, a thing. Are you from Chicago? Yeah. Are you serious? That's awesome, dude. I was just there last week. I I'm from the North Side, so technically I should be a Cubs fan, but. Yeah. I came from an American League family. My dad was a Yankee fan from New York, and like the Cubs were too uh, sad for him. <laughs> but uh, look, the White Sox, I love that team. I've been telling people for years. I've been telling people for a good three years, watch out for the White Sox. They're building a dynasty. Um, one. Two, the players I have just have so much character. Um and also, they're such a diverse team. I think that was the last year they set the record for the most Cubans in a starting lineup in the history of Major League. Yeah, we just we just keep drafting the Cuban guys. It's awesome. So cool. No. So diverse. Well, but just such a diverse team in general. A lot of people of color. Um, and I think Tony Roos is great. People keep talking smack. They keep trying to run him out of the league. And he just keeps winning. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like, what more do you need to know? The guy wins everywhere he goes. Yeah. The show on the road is now Chicago Sports with yeah. Pokey and Zach. Yeah. We're just going to switch over the format real quick. Dude, I'm actually <laughs> thinking about starting a baseball podcast, so maybe we should talk, you know. Uh, let's go back. Bloomington, normal. Yeah. You start picking up a guitar and playing songs when? How old? Okay, I, I was bought a guitar um, by my grandpa when I was... Mm, maybe 15 or 16, somewhere around there. And I just was tinkering around with it, but I just it just didn't click with me. I was really falling in love with bluegrass at the time after having listened to a lot of classic rock and blues. Um, I, I think really it could come down to Bob Dylan and Grateful Dead really being the whole reason why I play folk music to this day. I think. Um, and I fell in love with a mandolin. It wasn't... But I really didn't pick that up and, and take that seriously until I left home. And I left home right after I graduated high school in, in 2001. I was kind of hitching around. I really started to cut my teeth in, in music in Madison, Wisconsin, actually, when I was 19. In terms of blood and in my family, music doesn't really exist anywhere for generations except my dad's brother plays harmonica and, and guitar and sings. But that wasn't around me. He lived in another state. So I kind of just grew up with it and fell in love with it on my own. Um, listening to records at the library. Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes. Dad is in the alley, he's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen where the tombstone blues. I think everybody should busk at some point when they're coming up as a musician. Oh, for sure. Like, I've even heard stories of like Taj Mahal. Power. Oh, for sure. I've even, although... You may learn to sing the wrong way, as I have. <laughs> and you, like, project the wrong way and maybe lose your voice more than you should as you get older. Anywho, um, I just want to say, yeah, Taj Mahal apparently does that. He'll go out and he's in his career and made pilgrimages and with no money. He'll go to some town 
And if he can't make enough money to get back home, he says he's like, no, I don't know. He challenges himself to do that. I've actually never done that because, like intentionally, I just did that because I had to when I was younger. But uh, haven't bust for a while. Maybe I should get back out there and give it a shot. Venice Beach yeah. is calling you. Yeah. <laughs> the Third Street Promenade is waiting for you. I would not even be able to compete with all the the people down there with Robot Man and like, yeah, I, no way. I don't think I'd be able to compete. Maybe I should go down there and be a mime. Maybe that's my calling or something, but something more extreme. But yeah, you have albums that stretch back to 2007, eight, right? I mean, it goes pretty far yeah. back, right? And you had uh, the guys, you know, the South City 3 playing with you uh, for a long time. Yeah, they um, would have joined breaking. me in 2010 or 11. And I always remember seeing your, like, was it the La La Blues on the internet, you know? And seeing this guy, the skinny dude in a tweed suit, wherever you were wearing, and it felt like you were from another time, right? You remind me of this guy, C.W. Stone King, who I've long been a huge fan of. Obviously, you're, n- you're not from another time. You're talking with me on Zoom. But do you feel like maybe you reincarnated from a different soul from the 20s and 30s? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think I just like what I like and and interested in, in what I'm interested in. I think that um, specifically acoustic music has always been, well, that's what I fell in love with um, first and has always been at the heart of what I do. Um, and still the majority of what I listen to is acoustic music. Um, and I think that that also means soul music, not just, you know, Otis Redding and Percy Sledge, that kind of soul music, soul music from all around the world. And those things just tend to be a little bit more vintage, if you will, or old-fashioned, because, you know, music has been pretty firmly electric since, I don't know, I guess even the 50s, especially the 60s and onward. It's got more and more, I just guess, less and less acoustic, I should say. So... With my interest lying in a in a time when acoustic music was was king, and then the fact that my style, my fashion sense, um, sort of is rooted in certain the times of my of the music I'm most influenced by, it sort of became kind of a, a full package, if you will. And you know, and just also to go further, you know, we see that we see that today. You know, people playing music that's more popular in the '90s, popular in the '60s and '70s. You guys look like they popped out of the 60s, right? Mutton chops and long hair and bell bottoms. Right. I'm wet and I'm wild Honey, I'm short and thin Got to squeeze out any position you put me in I got this old thing Called the laughing horse disease Gonna laugh away to any place that I please It's la, la, la Maybe it feels like, uh, oh, he's just, you know, being, he's pigeonholed in this vintage world. I actually think it's the opposite. I think you embody music that is still living, right? A lot of people think like, oh, a lot of this acoustic blues, uh, you know, sort of this old school country music disappeared after, you know, Hank Williams died or something, you know? 
Yeah, I think that what I've always done has sort of been a little bit more on the fringes of very much on the fringe on the outside um, and more niche than, say, pop culture. Pop culture has adopted country music. Um, pop culture hasn't really adopted traditional jazz or gypsy jazz or old blues. But I think that it's also just like people are naturally curious because I think it's a part it's just it's a part of their soul it's soul music it's like it's so organic it's you can't help but feel it when you hear it it's just that people don't hear it that much you know but when they hear people like Django Reinhardt or Edith Piaf or certain songs from Hoagy Carmichael I mean you can't help but do it at the same time it's also very difficult music to play um I think that's actually the cool accessible thing about country blues it's it's so easy to play um, and easy to understand. So I think that that's actually been the reason why jazz has been sort of pushed out. It's because it's actually become more and more complicated. People in the jazz world have actually taken jazz and made it what arguably was the people's music, right? And made it very much an academic thing. Music has become, jazz has become too academic. And when music becomes too academic, it's not for the people anymore. Yeah, for me, it all begins and ends with the blues, for me, as the seed of American music, as the bottom of the tree that then branches into rock and roll and soul and funk and jazz. And, you know, and, and it always amazes me how the most gifted musicians I know can struggle playing like a 12-bar blues. Like, they can't, like, feel the, like, basic vibe of, like, like a just a straight ahead blues or it feels like oh it's like a cliche thing that your grandpa you know your dad listens to at the sports bar or something you know and it's like no <laughs> and I think a guy like Jack White who you uh, you know connected with uh, about 10 years ago and started you know he started championing your work I think understands the connection between early blues punk rock rock and roll and beyond pop I music. I think it would even go yeah. deeper than that and say that Jack's a kind of guy that understands that people have been singing the blues since the beginning of time. Yeah. How the blues is is not necessarily, you know, people get so hung up on genres um, and, and instrumentation to, to define their genre for them. Or I think genres are more or less meaningless. They're things that were created by record business. Because the blues, and again, soul music is crosses boundaries again it goes all the way back to the beginning of time all the way around the world it's one chord it's three chords it's piano it's guitar it's a guy banging on a rock and singing to heaven is he crying or is he singing it's the same thing so right um i think it's really just more of an essence and more of what you're tapping into who you're singing to and, and what you're saying um and how you're saying it more importantly perhaps if you could create your own pokey lafarge road show with like five artists who are now long in their graves if you could resurrect them put them on a train with you like a who touring those five artists a be? touring company touring band touring yeah, yeah. package tour i would want to <clears throat> i would want to go back um i would want to start a little bit more modern i would love to have uh, do you know esther phillips sounds familiar so there was a few Soul artists out there that did country albums, Ray Charles, Percy Sledge, to name a couple. 
Esther Phillips, um, the countryside of Esther Phillips is one of my favorite records of all time. Recorded at RCA Studio B, absolutely incredible. But she has some straight ahead, hard hitting soul stuff. But she was always so, like when she was young, she started as Little Esther her, and Johnny Otis was her backing band, Shuggy Otis is that. Um, Home is where the, where the hatred is. That came in second to, I think, uh, Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-E-C-T, winning a Grammy. Home is where the hatred is. Home is filled with pain. And it may not be such a bad idea if it never, never went home again. But uh, she died early, overdose on heroin. Um, Dude, let's throw Edith Piaf on there. Have her headline. Um, yeah, Edith Piaf, Esther Phillips. I would say Andres Landero. He's the king of, of uh, Colombian cumbia, Vallenato music. Maybe Lydia Mendoza, who's a Mexican, who's a Mexican singer and a brilliant 12-string guitar player from like, I think like 30s through the 50s. And uh, Howlin either Howlin' Wolf or Bo Diddley because they're just the funkiest dudes that ever lived. I love those stories about Howlin' Wolf where he was like, he like went back to school or something. Like he was very uh, into like furthering his education. I think he, he did would, it like, to learn business, do his right? Exams. <laughs> he would do his like take home exams at the bar and then go on and like spray people with champagne and go crazy. And sick his wicked harmonica up and down. Yeah, he did that to what he wanted to learn business so that he could learn the, I think for getting along in the music business better. And he could, you know, the same way Chuck Berry would demand cash before the show, right? And you do pretty big business in Europe. I mean, I've uh, seen you play in Amsterdam. Uh, we were playing upstairs. You were playing the big room over at, uh, um, Paradiso in Amsterdam. Um, what do you think the difference is between the crowds in Europe and the States? Dude, that's such a good question. I feel like I've been asked that so many times, and I don't know if I think that there's a certain, uh, lack of a better term, like air of mystery, but I think that musically, arguably, is perhaps our greatest per, um, expression, cultural expression. And um, I think that's something that's really championed around the world. And um, so we kind of have a red carpet rolled out for us when we go to the, you know, and that being said, especially in the Netherlands and in the UK and in Ireland, where as an American roots musician, that's where you kind of make your breakthrough. And then you're really lucky if you're able to break through the rest of Europe. Um, I also think that in Europe, in the UK, generally things are just, people are surrounded by older things, right? Mm. All the buildings are old. They're used to, they live a slower, more refined life, even though their, yeah. their politics may be more progressive, arguably, or you could argue perhaps that's because they're older and they've learned. I don't know how everyone argues. Yeah. But I think them being in the midst of older things all the time has to be a component there too, being that, you know, we play vintage music, if you will. Um, I just know that, yeah, I had to go there to make a name for myself before I can make a name for myself here, that's for sure. Uh, your song Rotterdam actually just came out. Yeah, that's right. 
I forgot about that. What, yesterday? <laughs> Two days and ago? That's a, it's a tough town. I mean, I've been there a few times. You know, it's not like the most romantic of <laughs> the Dutch areas. And I yeah. think uh, romanticizing it feels kind of awesome in its own way. You know, because the people are so down at that, that one, what's that place, Rotown? They're so down for American music. And I think it's like you're paying homage to them in some way. Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> I spent a lot of time in the Netherlands, Zach, and, and the thing also was that that song was more like Rotterdam is Utopia. It's not specifically that I wanted to or even now want to live in Rotterdam to get away from yeah. certain trials and tribulations in the States. It's, it's again, Rotterdam is Utopia. But I, there, is a cert, there is a high level of acceptance and sort of harmony in the Netherlands, at least on the surface. Um... And I really appreciated that, how, you know, ever since I've gone there as a lyric, because ever since I've gone there, I've, I've, I've always felt at peace. You know, that's for sure. Also, I've, I've spent a lot of time specifically in Rotterdam with my friends at the Schorum Barbershop, which have become international celebrities since I started going there. Not because of me, obviously. But just I've spent, I have a lot of friends there. Um, I'm a huge World War II buff. And just knowing what they went through specifically during World War II and how the whole city was right. bombed out. They're the working class city. Kind of feels very Midwestern in that sense of how they're the they're second city. Rotterdam is the second city to Amsterdam. And the way that Chicago is second city to New York. You know, maybe that's a little antiquated at this time. But. Decided to go back there and, and play that song for those people. I was supposed to be playing that in September, but the nightclub shut down again. So we're gonna have to move it till next year. And if I'm able to do it next spring, it'll literally be two years removed from when it was originally scheduled. Do you need like a creative writing springboard? Like, is there something where you're like, okay, there's a little. Uh, postcard from Rotterdam that you catch out of the side of your eye and you're like wait a second that has to be a song or is it just instant inspiration sometimes I need to like look around my space I hear something on the radio I need uh, something else to help me start a song a lot of times I can't just like come out of thin air with this you know fully formed story yeah all that what you just said I think as artists you you'll take whatever you can get to get you going right some people use sex some people use drugs some people use the past some people use the present some people use the future other people use their dreams um whatever you can to awaken um the the muse i like to work almost first thing in the morning through the afternoon i'm very much a morning and daytime person i don't work at night I stop working at dinner time. I love cooking dinner, and that's my sign that I'm done. Five, six o'clock, I'm done. 
um, and wind down at night. A tidbit within the daytime thing, the daytime work schedule that I use, I do find that power naps really help to awaken things or to stop and just rest and power nap and then it lets things kind of settle the dust sort of settles and then you can really see what you're trying to say at that point you know do you meditate um i i will definitely uh meditate on god i will definitely meditate on the word i will definitely pray for sure um the thing that has really opened up my songwriting in the last few months has I wake up every morning and sing a psalm. I mean, really, when you think about it, are songs and prayers really that different? Mm. For me, I don't really want them to be, whether they're jubilant or sorrowful. Um, speaking of gratitude or of, 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 of anguish or pleading, I think that that's kind of how I want it to read. So, um, well, long for the heaven yeah, I seek feels like it is, be, is a good example of that. Yeah, for sure. That's the the first sort of song that I wrote in that, with that pursuit, if you will, with that posture. I've been sent out like a sheep among wolves, snakes on the trail, broken wings of a dove. I tried to push back the sunset. God burnt light shines from the moon till darkness returns. I strain to hear heaven's bells ring, but I'm tired of waiting for the angels to sing. Oh Lord, take me home. listen to that uh johnny cash record hymns it's like one of my all-time favorite vinyls that i found at like a thrift store or something but like it's him singing his favorite sort of church songs or things he grew up with and it's just oof. yeah it's so good yeah me and and um and uh and i think you know Addie hamilton right do you know her she's so, LA. Yeah. and pete molinari we did a we did a couple shows together where we sang some of those songs, some of those Johnny Cash ones where June Carter and the Carter family are, you know. Um, I'd like to do more of that. I love those those old um, gospel tunes for sure. I have a mixed relationship with religious music because, on one hand, Mahalia Jackson specifically, but you know Sister Rosetta Tharp, a lot of that early uh, yeah, gospel music, it like hits me in some sort of bizarre past life 
regression thing where I'm like, I don't know what this is. I don't have any affiliation with, uh, you know, most of the church that these people went to. Uh, but I, I feel like this music is as close to what God is as possible. And that new uh, documentary that Questlove did, uh, Summer of Soul, I don't know if you've seen it yet. but um, I didn't see it, no. Oh, there's like Mahalia Jackson singing with a young Mavis Staples, who's like maybe 18, 19. I look back in the crowd, we saw it in, in Hollywood, everyone was just like, crying like in the theater and it's mostly like you know white people old guys and beards with their wives and it was just like you couldn't like contain like the emotion watching this and you know when you get up on stage do you feel like singing is sort of a spiritual experience that you're like a preacher in some way in the way that a preacher is a conduit I definitely uh, believe in the power of song. Um, I definitely know that God loves music um, as angels are singing in heaven around him daily all the time worshiping. Music is, is a part of who we are. Um, I don't think that music is the only way that I could carry out my gift of life, get the gift that I was given. I think that I was put on earth to spread joy. Um, I think I can do that with music. I can do that with a conversation. Um, I can do that in a lot of different ways. But um, music is definitely something that I enjoy. And um, I'm grateful for that opportunity to sing. Um, being more aware of all, more of all of those things now, um, I am very conscious uh, of who I, again, who I'm singing to and um, the power that can have not only in the spiritual world, but also in this, this present world. Um, again, as you said, when you hear music, you can't quite explain it, but it touches something inside of you because you have a soul. Um, and it's doing things, more things than you can really interpret it in a, probably in a conscious state. I mean, just in the same way that we're taking in more that we can process at any given time. But it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. So that's what's so cool about music because it can awaken these things that you haven't been able to explain yourself yet. As much as you pray, as much as you write, and as much as you talk, talk, talk. Well, right? When you get in this state, you'll write things you're like, what am I even saying right now? So that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, I feel like songwriters, and maybe you agree or not, I think we often have trouble maybe feeling things as deep in our personal life as we do in our writing or in our performing. Like sometimes, you know, you could say, oh, I, I love you to your partner. But like if you write a song with the love in it, it's like the fully realized personification of your love you know like I feel like um, I have trouble just sort of opening up about you know emotions or about basic kind of like fears you know but man I can write about the apocalypse or about people losing their lives and their sanity 
in a song I and I feel totally I think natural that's okay, doing. Though you know what I mean, as long as you're aware of what you're saying and maybe you, again, I think that you can learn from what you're writing. You can learn from keeping a general journal, writing a song, keep a uh, keep tabs on what you're saying to your shrink. I mean, everybody has a different love language. Everybody has a different way of showing their love. Everybody has a different way of receiving love. I think that's okay. You know, actually, at the same same token, I think that that's really cool that you show love and you show what you're going through in a song because then you're creating something. You're right. creating something. Words get lost all the time. You can say, you can pour your heart out to your partner, to your friend, to your family all the time, but the words go in one ear and they go out the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Words are powerful, no doubt, but a song is a creation that could last the, the, perhaps the test of time. What is the most romantic thing you think you've ever done? <laughs> Dude, that's such a good question. He's leaning forward in the breakfast nook. The wheels are turning. Yeah. Picture leans in for the signs. Um, I love how you're narrating my life there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd want to ask, I'd want to ask Addie. I feel like the one thing that I did that was pretty good. I'm not very good at keeping surprises, but there was one time I did. Um, I, I told, um, I told Addie that we were in San Francisco and we were, I was going to take her to a place that was going to be the most amazing place she'd ever seen. It started raining and she said, okay, I was like, and she asked how far we were going to walk. I said, uh, about a half mile or a mile. Um, she said, can I wear my roller skates? And I was like, well, it's going to be raining and we do have a mile to go, but if you insist on wearing your roller skates, that might actually be perfect. Lots, Lots of hills, hills also. <laughs> We're right on Fisherman's Wharf. And we show up to the front of, have you ever heard of Musée de Mécanique? No. It's like the greatest collection of 100-year-old mechanical you know, arcade games and like okay. the the pictures where you roll through and make the early movies. Like it's a huge warehouse right on Fisherman's right. Wharf. We walk in and it's just her mind is completely blown. The guy who runs the place is also on roller skates. That's how he gets around. You press a button if a machine goes down. He zooms in on his roller skates and his Daisy Dukes and his colorful suspenders like Robin Williams and Mark and Mindy and he fixes the machine on the spot. We get back to the, we're seeing the seals on the wharf and we just having so much fun. She, I'm spinning around on the roller skates. We get back to the car and the window's bashed in and my computer's taken. All the writing I've done for the last few years. Ah. <laughs> we end up driving north to John Muir and spend a really romantic weekend up there. But um, I think that's the first thing that came to mind. I took a dark turn at the very end. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, that's life, man. Can't tell the meaning in your eyes Oh, but I mean to I can't tell truth from lies Tell me, can you Even God has secrets Only Mother Nature knows Time will always tell I wonder if you ever will All right. There goes that man, Pokey Lafarge. You can go to pokeylafarge.net for his newest record in the blossom of their shade on New West Records. It is an uplifting masterpiece, in my opinion. 
He'll be hitting the road again November 3rd at Fine Line in Minneapolis, November 4th, Talia Hall in Chicago, and then playing in Grand Rapids, Indianapolis, Charleston, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, and more. So please check that out. He's a wonderful live performer. As you might have heard at the top of this program, My Gang Dust Bowl Revival will be playing our first national tour since the world shut down in 2020. We'll be playing in Chicago, New York City, Boston, D.C., and more. Please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com. I want to send a big high five to everyone who has been listening to this program for the three years that I've been putting it out onto the airwaves. Thanks to the Bluegrass Situation for distributing it and everyone who has left a kind review on the Apple Podcasts page. If you haven't yet, please do so. It really means a lot. As always, this show is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lubitin, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the trail. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.